0: Let us turn in God's Word this evening to the New Testament book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service Of your faith I joy, and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy, and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, but all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But ye know the proof of Him that, as a son with the Father, He has served with me in the Gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus... My brother, and companion in labor, and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all, and was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I send him therefore the more carefully that when ye see him again ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Thus where we read God's holy and inerrant word. May God add his blessing upon the reading of his holy scriptures. The text that we consider this evening is verses 12 and 13 of Philippians chapter 2. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only... But now much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul shows in these verses that he is a man who understood human nature. and He understood that as human beings, we need accountability. We have someone with us, either alongside of us or a supervisor, someone to whom we are accountable, who is watching over us we are more likely in that instance to be faithful, to be industrious, to remain focused on whatever the particular task is at hand. Then he also understood that if we don't have accountability, if we do not have some supervisor, someone overseeing what we are doing, then the real temptation is to become undisciplined. Parents know this with children. Paul, at the time of writing this text, was not able to be with the saints at Philippi. He yearned to be with them. He had been with them previously, but was not at this present moment in time with them. While Paul had previously been with the congregation, he had observed in them great fidelity unto God. They were zealous about worshiping the Lord. But now the Apostle Paul, away from these saints, is concerned that in his absence they are not going to remain as steadfast and as faithful to the Lord. The temptation always is to rise to the occasion when someone is watching, but then to slip, spiritually slip, when no one is watching. And so it's in that context then that Paul writes, my beloved, ye love them. My beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, not just when I was with you, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let's consider this then, under the theme, working out one's own salvation. First, personally, work out your own salvation. Second, reverently, with fear and trembling. And then, third, confidently, because God works in you to will and to do. Before we look at what this means for us personally, we must understand something generally of what this means to work out your own salvation. I'm sure no one here would charge the Apostle Paul with being an Arminian. No one would charge Paul with teaching a conditional theology, or a conditional covenant. But how then are we to understand these words, work out your own salvation? It almost seems as if Paul leaves the door open here for the possibility that there's a role that man has and that man must perform in accomplishing his salvation. Salvation. Perhaps the idea is what is called synergism. Synergism meaning that God does his part in salvation, but then man must do his part in salvation. And then between the combined efforts of God and man, the result is that man then will be saved. We understand that cannot be But the Apostle Paul is teaching here, he's not teaching that God did his part but left certain things unfinished, and now man has to come along and finish up that which God has left for man to do. To help us understand this here, we do well to recall that that word salvation, work out your own salvation, is used throughout the Scriptures in Various different ways. It's a broad term. It's not a specific term, but it's a general idea of the Scriptures. The students in essentials are taught about what is called the order of salvation. The ordo salutis. is a Latin term. And the ordo salutis, or the order of salvation, includes... Many different aspects of salvation. There's regeneration, the the work of God to make someone alive, a new birth. That's included in salvation. There's calling. God calls us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That belongs to salvation. Regeneration, calling, faith, that bond that we have with Jesus Christ. That's part of salvation. Justification. Sanctification. Preservation. Glorification. All these different aspects of salvation. And so understanding here that the that that word salvation is a broad term. The question then is, in what sense is the Apostle Paul using that term salvation here in this text? It certainly cannot be the case that the Apostle is speaking here of regeneration. Work out your own regeneration with fear and trembling. That cannot be the case for God the Holy Spirit regenerates. Nor can it be the case here that the Apostle is speaking of justification or forgiveness. Work out your own forgiveness. That can't be the idea, for forgiveness is based entirely on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus forgives. The sense in which the Apostle Paul is Speaking of salvation is that aspect of salvation called sanctification, holiness. That's the calling of this text. It's a command of God, God to abstain from that which is evil and to cling to that which is good. This is a command to live an upright and holy life before God. Work out your own salvation. Proof that Paul is speaking here of salvation in the sense of sanctification, holiness. It's the context. That's what Paul has been developing all throughout this chapter. In Philippians 2. Getting already in the second verse. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. Unity. That's holiness. Having the same love. Being of one accord and of one mind. Verse 3 continues with the calling to be holy. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but esteem others better than what we esteem ourselves. And then in verses 5, 5 all the way through 11, he gives the perfect example of Jesus Christ. What does it look like to be holy? What does it mean to be of one accord and of one mind? Well, here's the example that we look to. Verse 5, "...let this mind be in you which was also in Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus do? The 8th verse, He humbled Himself and He became obedient unto death. Obedience. That's holiness. That's sanctification. And then, not only preceding verses 12 and 13, do we see the subject of holiness, but also, after following verses 12 and 13, this idea of holiness continues. Verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings. 15, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. And so, both preceding and following, we see that the emphasis of this chapter is on the personal walk of sanctification and holiness, that the child is to live before Jehovah God. Salvation. It's the unique pathway that God calls you to walk upon. It's the pathway that leads to life and fellowship with God. God has a unique plan of redemption. Redemption. Salvation for each one of his children. Some he saves with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Jude 23. Isaiah the prophet proclaimed that Zion was redeemed with judgment. Some he saves with tenderness, for there is no fear in love. 1 John 4, verse 18. Peter says that we are saved only with great difficulty. God has ordained this pathway of salvation, this holy walk, and now the command of this text is work out your own salvation. This is hard work that God calls us unto. Literally, the idea of workout is that of exercise. It brings to mind the idea of a weightlifter who is straining with every fiber of muscle in his body to lift that weight that presses down upon him. And that weightlifter knows that if this exercise is going to be of any benefit to him, he can't just exercise once or twice and then give up on it. It won't do any good for him. But if that exercise is going to be of benefit to his body, if he's going to go, grow stronger by it, he must continue in that exercise. He must repeatedly, day after day, week after week, perform the exercises. And then over the course of months and years, slowly his body is conditioned and he grows in strength. And that's the idea here, beloved, of working out one's own salvation. This is not something that the Christian does instantaneously or in a moment. It's not something that we perform in a breath or in a sigh. But working out one's own salvation requires continuous, sustained, strenuous effort. Far from being passive, God calls us unto lives of activity. It's a pursuit, it's a following after, it's a warfare, it's a race. That's the idea of working out one's own salvation. Jesus taught broad and wide is the way that leads to destruction, but straight and narrow is the way that leads to life. It is not required of our present generation That we be as physically active as the generations that preceded us. With the advancement of technology, with machines that can perform so many of the tasks that previously had to be done through physical effort, it is possible for us to live rather sedentary lives. This is not to say that these modern inventions are evil, base. We can be thankful for them. There's nothing inherently holy about physical movement of itself. If God has given us this technology to a vehicle, you can get in the vehicle and go from point A to point B without having to walk that distance, then thanks be to God for that technology. Nor is this to say that the present generation is lazy. But it's simply to acknowledge that we do not have to move as much as what generations prior had to move in order to stay alive. We point that out because with physical inactivity, comes the real temptation to become spiritually inactive. If our whole lives are spent sedentary, sitting on the couch, at the table, the chair, even at work, the temptation is for us to have that carry over into our spiritual disciplines. The spiritual life is not easy. We are called to put our necks to the yoke. It's a burden. It's cross-bearing. And following Jesus Christ. May God strengthen our spiritual muscles that they might not become weak through inactivity. This commandment is personal. It comes to you. And it comes to me. Work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. There is no one else who can work out your salvation for you. Paul could not do it for the saints at Philippi. He loved them. He yearned to be with them. But he said, not only when I was with you, but in my absence also, work out your own salvation. Your parents, children, cannot work out your own salvation for you. The church, the elders, the minister, the deacons, cannot work out your own salvation for you. The only vicarious work is the work of Jesus Christ, who died in the place of His people. Now because of that vicarious sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the calling now comes to each one of you personally, work out your own salvation. Making confession of faith in the church does not mean that one has fulfilled the requirement of this task. Making confession of faith, if anything, means that this is the beginning of one's working out their own salvation. It's the beginning of an arduous and difficult journey. A life of self-denial. Of the mortification of the old man of sin. And living in obedience unto Jehovah God. This is a calling here young people and young adults that you are called to take so seriously. Work out your own salvation. You see, when you were younger, when you were but a child, you were required by those who were in authority over you to participate in spiritual activities. Why did you come to church? Because mom and dad got you dressed and clothed and cleaned you up and brought you to church. Why as a child did you bow your head in prayer? Because it was required of you and you knew that there would be discipline from dad if you did not bow your head in prayer. When we're younger, it's because of external compulsion that we attend worship services and go through the activities of a Christian life. But as we come to years of discretion, less and less is it because of external compulsion, and more and more it becomes an internal compulsion. It's because I want to worship God. It's because I want to have fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's because I want to worship Him in the beauty of holiness. It's because I am thankful unto Him for what He has done for me in Jesus Christ. It's because God sent His only begotten Son to die in my place that now in thanksgiving unto Him, I want to work out my own salvation with fear and with trembling. Paul does not give any excuses. He does not say you must work out your own salvation except if this is the case. Except if you're 15 years old and you're tempted to join a party where you know there's going to be underage drinking. He does not say work out your own salvation unless there's incredible peer pressure that's put upon you. Well, then it's understandable. No, He makes no excuses. Not only in my presence, but in my absence also. Work out. Your own salvation. An attitude of reverence is required of us while we do this. With fear and with trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You can feel the emotion of Paul's words as he penned this by the guiding of the Spirit. Let's not misunderstand Paul's words here with fear and with trembling. Paul is not saying here, it's because you despair. He's not saying work out your own salvation because you're anxious. (coughs) Not work out your own salvation because there's uncertainty in your heart and in your soul as to whether or not you are a child And so you better work out your own salvation. Otherwise, in the judgment day, as you stand before Jesus Christ, who sits on that great white throne of judgment, you might be cast into everlasting destruction. That is not the intention of Paul's words here as he writes, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. The idea is this that as we work out our own salvation, we are to do so with utmost respect and reverence for the holy God who has gifted us with salvation. One commentator puts it this way, quote, this holy fear trembles at the thought of doing or omitting anything that will offend God, will compel Him to turn away and thus endanger our salvation. It is a dread of the poison of sin that robs man of strength to work out the salvation of Himself. That's fear and trembling. It's having humility of heart as I stand before Jehovah God. It's having an ardent trust and a love for God. It's having faith that submits to Him and that follows Him wherever God leads me. But why? Why does the Apostle add these words, fear and trembling. Two reasons. I believe that this is a necessary qualifier in how we are to work out our own salvation. They're very similar to each other and yet different. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because salvation is of... God, and because salvation is to God. That's why. Because salvation is of God, and because salvation is unto, movement unto God. Consider this with me. In the first place, salvation is of God. It is described in the Scriptures as the gift of God. Think of that familiar verse, Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. If salvation was something for which you could take credit, if salvation was something that you could say, well, I contributed unto it, or I added to my salvation, well, then you would have reason to brag and to boast of what you had performed in your salvation. But when we understand that salvation is the gift of God, that He grants unto us freely, and that we contributed nothing unto it, then how could we work out our salvation but with fear and trembling? Fear and trembling indicates the thanksgiving in our hearts that we have unto God for this gift that He has granted unto us. Perhaps you've seen someone receive a gift, a great gift. Someone who was destitute, homeless, hungry, starving. The individual did not have the ability to fend for himself, to provide food for himself, to put a shelter, a roof over his head then another person comes along and sees that destitute, starving individual. And that individual grants to the starving person food, clothing, and says, come. You can stay in my home until you're able to get back on your feet. There's a place for you to live the way that that poor person responds to the generous gift shows how thankful he is or is not for that gift. You can almost see the truly destitute person quivering in thanksgiving for such a gift. Really? You are going to give unto me this home and food and clothing, even though you didn't know me? How do we respond as God gives unto us in grace the gift of salvation? The way that we respond to this gift that God grants unto us shows how thankful we are or are not for it. With fear and with trembling, we receive and work out that gift of salvation. Salvation is of God. And then, secondly, why with fear and with trembling? Well, exactly because salvation is unto God. Salvation has its source in God. And the, and the amazing thing of salvation is that salvation leads right back to Jehovah God. Salvation always leads in one direction. There's only one way that salvation goes. The pathway of salvation is not determined by the recipient. But the pathway and the direction of salvation is determined by the giver of salvation. Salvation leads to Jehovah. The I am that I am. And that is the amazing and the fear-invoking truth of salvation if I continue down this pathway of salvation, I will grow closer and closer unto God. Until at last, through death, when God takes me into His own house, and God sets me at His table, God provides me with food and with drink, And who would not tremble and quiver at that thought of being in the house of God. Work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. Because this is the conclusion of salvation. Life with God in heaven. May we have confidence in doing this? Of ourselves, certainly not. But of God, the answer is yes. I can work out my own salvation with fear and with trembling because the 13th verse declares to us, it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. God is the one who works in us the willing, the desire to work out our own salvation. Apart from God working in us that desire, we would never want to work out our own salvation. We couldn't be bothered to lift up a finger in working out our own salvation. We would treat salvation the way the young child treats vegetables on their plate. Take it and throw it to the side and cast it on the ground. That's what we would do with salvation. We would want nothing to do with it exactly because of the fact that salvation leads unto God. And that's a frightening thought living in the presence of the thrice holy God. Because by nature we are carnal and earthly and tied to this earth with a thousand ties We want nothing to do with life that ends in heaven with Jesus Christ and with the church triumphant. And so God has to work in us the willing so that we want to do His good pleasure. How then does that parent help that child come to want to eat food that is good for them? With firmness, with gentleness, with an unwavering commitment to the good of the child, the parent continues patiently bringing that food to the child again and again and again until at last the child wants to eat the food that has been provided. So for us, how does God bring us to will, to want, to work out our own salvation? God with firmness, with gentleness, with an unwavering commitment to seek the good of His people sets before us spiritual food of Jesus Christ. Canons of Dort, we confess, heads 3 and 4, the grace of regeneration does not treat men as senseless stocks and blocks, nor takes away their will and its properties, but spiritually quickens, heals, corrects. And at the same time, sweetly and powerfully, bends the will of man. That's how God works in us. Not as a tyrant. Not abusing His power. But He sweetly and powerfully bends our will so that we want to work out our own salvation. And then He gives us the power, the ability, not only to will, but also to do of His good pleasure. He grants unto us the strength to perform the good works which He has before ordained that we should walk in them. God does this by filling us with the Spirit of Jesus Christ Himself. It is only as we are in communion with God that we have the power not only to will but also to do of God's good pleasure. The light bulb, if it is disconnected from the source of power, the electricity, can turn that switch on all you want. But that light bulb will not turn on until it is in contact with the source of the power branch cannot bear fruit except it abide in the vine so it is for us we can only work out our own salvation when we are in contact with the father through the son jesus christ jesus is the power by which we work out salvation. He is the captain of our salvation. He is the one who did already perform the good pleasure of his Father. Though he despised the bitter and shameful death of the cross, yet he became obedient to the point of death. May God grant unto us His indwelling Spirit, that we might, day by day, work out our own salvation. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, we thank Thee that Thou who hast begun a good work in us will also perform it until that day when we are brought off of this earth, we are delivered into the church which enjoys the victory over sin and death and the grave. We thank Thee that through Jesus Christ we are Thy Beloved. Wilt Thou bless Thy Word unto our hearts, And keep us for Jesus' sake. Amen.